You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. We all know that the human body comes in all different shapes and sizes. However, most firearms do not. That is why Savage Arms has rolled out their AccuFit system on the 110 platform. AccuFit uses interchangeable components that allow hunters to custom fit both comb height and the length of pull without taking their rifle to a gunsmith. In fact, the only tool you need is a Phillips head screwdriver. If you want to find out more information about the AccuFit customization system, visit savagearms.com. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartree.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast. Do not skip through this pre-roll. We've got some important information for you about the format of this podcast. We're going to start using the pre-roll to answer some questions that we get from our listeners. So listener correspondence, we're going to update you on legislative things that are affecting houndsmen across the United States. And... Um, any hot button topic, anything that's hot off the press, we're going to put it in the pre-roll for you. So it's right up front. You can hear it right off the bat and it won't take away from our interviews. So the first topic is listener correspondence. We love hearing from you. This podcast was designed to be about you, the houndsman. 
the hunters out there that are getting it after it every day. You're out there where the rubber meets the road. You're turning those hounds loose. And this podcast was always designed to be about you. It's not about us. You are the backbone of this lifestyle, and your story needs to be told. And that's what Houndsman XP was designed for, to tell your story. And we want you to correspond with us and let us get to know who you are. And we will feature some of that correspondence in this pre-roll. It's important that we know who each of us is, how we can bridge those gaps between houndsmen across the globe, and send those, that correspondence in. Uh, we're going to bring you legislative updates. We have been promoting uh, everything from the, the wolf season in Wisconsin to uh, House Bill 268 in Montana to allow bear hunting with hounds in the state of Montana. All things that you as houndsmen need to know, and we want to put it right up front so you're very aware of what's going on. We'll continue to promote a lot of it on social media, but if you know something that's going on in your state that we need to get in this pre-roll, send it to me at at uh, my email address, which is chris.houndsmanxp.com. It's real simple. If you want to reach out to Seth, it's Seth dot houndsmanxp.com or lauren at lauren dot houndsmanxp.com any of the three of us would be happy to talk to you and we look forward to hearing from every one of you so in this episode of the houndsman xp podcast on our constant quest to bring you the most extreme performance houndsman in the world we are traveling i actually traveled down to Louisiana and spent a couple days hog hunting with the legendary plot breeder and hog hunter and big bear hunter and international hunter. I mean, this guy has hunted brown bear in Sweden with his plots. There's one guy that fits that description, and that is Mike Cauley. He's been on the podcast before. I, it was an honor and a pleasure to go down and spend some time with Mike. Now, when you listen to this podcast, I just want you to know, we stacked up the hogs in two days down there on the bayou. Long day, two long days on the boat and dragging hogs out and, and just a lot of work. So we were fighting some sleep deprivation on this thing. And I'm going to tell you that uh, we were sleepy little fellers. So it's still a lot of great information. If you're thinking about breeding hounds, if you have questions about breeding hounds, you're going to want to listen to this podcast. There's a lot of great information in there, a lot of hunting stories and things like that. But this episode was really put together to talk about a guy that has dedicated his life to breeding extreme performance hounds, pursuing dangerous game in all parts of the world. And, uh, you're going to get some pearls of wisdom here from Mike Cauley. So buckle up. We've got a hot track here, and it's time to dump the box. All right. All right. Now the recorder is running for sure. And uh, I'm with Mike Cauley in Folsom, Louisiana. We've just spent two days on uh, – a river and a bayou in Louisiana hog hunting. And this is a second time that Mike's been on the podcast uh, with us. And Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. Yep. Glad to have you down here with us. 
Yep. I, I truly love coming down here. I think we hunted the first time together about nine years ago. I'm not sure why it took me so long to get back, but uh, I've regretted it. Yeah. Well, we missed you. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the last couple of days we've been spending on boats, hunting from a boat in the bayou, hog hunting. And uh, yesterday was a pretty special day. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it was. A friend of mine, Charlie Gaines, um, was organizing a wounded warrior hunt. And uh, so we got together with him to help him. And, you know, it's just a great service that we can do for our servicemen that have done so much for our country. And they really enjoyed themselves, I believe. You know, they had a blast going out there after the hogs. Yeah, these veterans, I don't think any of them had hog hunted before, have they? No, I think they were all basically from Kansas, Midwest area. So uh, I think a couple of them have deer hunted before, but mm -hmm. that's about it. Yeah, and they came down here. And What was your impression of our veterans that hunted with us? Well, I was pretty impressed with them, you know. I mean, there was no hesitation. You know, when we told them to go, they went. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd go straight to the hog, dispatch it, drag him out. You know, What no was the problem. most important thing you said? Draggers. <laughs> <laughs> they were very good draggers. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. You could send those, in, send those guys in there, and here they came with a hog. They weren't – they need a little instruction on – They did. They did. Gutting hogs. Well, they did. They, they would go in. They didn't know they needed to catch the hog before they started, you know, to dispatch it. But once they got it down, it was no problem. And they did need a little instruction on how to field dress a hog. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And that wasn't any problem either once we got them rolling downhill on that. so We gave them a well-rounded education. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, Mike, you're, you're known throughout the plot breed for um, – and, and with plot breeders as somebody that's bred a very good line of plots for a number of years. And um, um, it's Bayou Cajun plots. I mean, every, it seems like the, the biggest players in the, the plot breed know who you are. And what year did you start that? We'll kind of recap some of this first episode for anybody that's just tuning in. Well, the uh, actually the Bayou Cajun name actually came from when I used to raise and train retrievers. Okay. And uh, then I got out of the retriever game, and you know when I got into the plots, which I got them in the early '80s, I just kind of slapped that Bayou Cajun plots on them, and you know pretty well had them since. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's one thing that there's so many spinoffs that we could go on from dog training to breeding, to hunting, you know, but if you were to identify yourself to somebody, Mike Colley, who's Mike Colley? Are you a hunter? Are you a breeder? Are you a trainer? What are you? I'm a hunter more than anything, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that, you know, I just feel more relaxed out in the woods following a dog, and if I can't hunt it with a dog, I don't want to hunt it, so, uh, and the plots just do it so naturally, you know. Uh, it's just so much easier to get a trained dog out of a plot, it seems like, than the other breeds I've tried. Yeah. So what year did you start? With the plots, I started uh, early 80s. I'd say 82, maybe 83. 
How long did you hog hunt before then? Well, I actually started when I was about 18. Uh, I took a job out of town for a f few years and didn't get back till I was in my 20s and then started back. Mm -hmm. So, and we had Catahoula curs. That's basically what we used. And in the 70s, Louisiana had an importation of Eurasian wild boar. And they ran so bad, we needed dogs that could stay in a race a little longer. You need more track tracking ability. Right. Well, or was it endurance? More more endurance. Really? Yeah. So the, the, the cur dogs that you were using at the time couldn't stay in those long races? No. The cur dogs I had, I was very fortunate. I got some cur dogs from a guy who used to run livestock in the woods back when we had open range. And these were exceptional Catahoulas. They, uh, you could track hunt with them. They could run, you know, four or six hours, no problem. Uh, but I couldn't keep that line going. You know, this was before internet and all, and my last good cur dog just couldn't reproduce himself. And to be fair to him, we never bred him to any females as good as him. Mm -hmm. And I had plots uh, well before then, uh, but it was just easier to get what I wanted out of a plot than finding a cur dog that could do it. Yeah. And as we hunted with several people this weekend, several of your friends that you've hunted with for a number of years, and uh, I heard a few of them talk about the cur dog days. And, right. You know, talking about the curs that you had at the time. So. Tell me the difference that you saw between the curs and the plots, because you're all plots now. Yeah, the curs are mostly silent trailing, the ones I had. When you heard them, they were baiting, and if the hog broke and ran, you might get a couple of yips out of them, but that was it, you know, and they'd go back to running silent. Uh, that being said, they could run. You know, we've had them run three or four hours on running hogs, mm -hmm. and so it's uh the plots i like to hear a race i used to coon hunt when i was a teenager early 20s and if a dog can smell it and move it i want him opening mm -hmm. and that's very important bear hunting too because there's no way you, you can get young dogs into a race if a dog's not opening right so and we'll get into the bear hunting thing here in a second but uh so tell me tell me tell our listeners tell me you know, when you tell us, tell us what a, hunting with a cur dog was like, if you couldn't, oh. if you didn't have a race and it was back before any, back before garments and all that sort of stuff, what did you do? We listened a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie and I, we used to walk all over those swamps and those cur dogs, they would make like 15, 20 minute loops, circles around you. Well, look, before we get into, you said you walked through those swamps, and I've been walking through them for the last two days, and you've got to watch where you step, or you'll go in up to your belly button. No, you're mistaken as far as, you've been walking through the marsh. Okay. The swamps are different. Okay. And we would walk through mostly a lot of hard-bottom swamps. Okay. And, uh, you know, higher ground than what we've been in the last couple of days. And, you know, we covered a lot of miles, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, you know, and if the dogs, 
if they were gone over 10 minutes, we knew they were trailing a hog somewhere and we'd just have to stop and listen. Now, before telemetry, which we got in the 80s, uh, we a lot of times we had to hunt for the dogs longer than we actually hunted them. You know, we didn't know where they were. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'd trail a hog up, they'd be out of hearing, having bayed for hours and hours. Sometimes we found them. Sometimes we'd have to go back the next day, and the dog would normally be there. Mm -hmm. Where you turn them loose or right. still on the bay? Well, where we turn them loose. We have had – I had two cur dogs that did stay bayed 25 hours, and we got in there the next day and caught the hog. Yeah. And you did talk to Tommy Jones, and he verified that for me, <laughs> yes, that story. <laughs> A lot of people didn't believe me when I told him that, but Tommy and Jimmy Jones, they were all there. Yeah. So, Yep. So what was that dog acting like after being bathed for 25 hours? Well, we th you would think they would have been whipped out, tired and all. But uh, actually, after we caught that hog, they rolled out. And we made a, a big sounder of hogs and probably caught 10, 12 hogs out of that one little herd. So so right after you pulled dogs off a 25-hour bay, then you went and caught more hogs with the same dogs? Yes. Okay, so this is kind of a, a Houndsman XP thing. We've talked about a sleuth of bears. We've talked about uh, a lot. What a group of animals is called. What's what's a group of pigs called? A sounder. A sounder of hogs. Okay. Yep. And I heard you say that in the boat, and I wanted to set that up for the podcast. Just yeah. So you know. But I, I. And and what was the story? There was a story about a dog sleeping in there with some pigs what was that was that was that what see i don't remember that because when we <laughs> when we when we started in to find the dogs yeah. we caught three hogs on the way and on the last hog i could hear dogs baying mm -hmm. and i even pulled my telemetry out and checked them and i said yeah those are my dogs and we went in to the baying dogs and caught that sow so i mean there was no sleeping going on. <laughs> those dogs were bathed for 25 hours. Now, I'm sure they took breaks, but... So, it's one of those deals as the time goes on, the story gets better. Well, I don't know. You, you know, weren't I, telling the story. Just for clarification, you didn't tell the story. The The other guy in the boat told this story, and I think he said that, that the pig laid down and was sleeping with the dogs. Oh, uh, I, I don't know anything about that. I think maybe Tommy's memory might be a little diminished over the years. But he was there, you know. So, But that's quite a story, you got to admit. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to sit around and tell stories, that's one you got to tell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mike Collie's so, dog stayed bayed so long that the pigs and the dogs all laid down together and took a nap. That's right. So, I tell you what, after that day, after we caught those 12 or so more hogs, I needed to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> that was a long day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you uh, you started into the plots in the early 80s, mm. and you wanted to hear more races. Right. Yeah. I love to hear a race. So it's. So why didn't you go with, like, foxhounds or beagles or? Uh, well, I mean, beagles don't have the temperament, neither do foxhounds. Foxhounds will run. And there are exceptions. Well, I'm talking about being a fox hunter or being a rabbit hunter if you just wanted to hear a race. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Uh, the, the excitement wasn't there. Yeah. 
you know, I like putting my hands on them, you know, and hog hunting, you know, especially big hogs. There is an element of r risk there, so. You're not kidding. You know, <laughs> I was walking into that bay up today, and I was going in by myself, and I was thinking, okay, so I need to catch. And I made a mistake. Was that today? Today I made that mistake, that rookie mistake this morning? You made so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep track of them We've been all. barking orders at me for two days. I can't remember which ones I'm supposed to follow, and I can't keep track of all of them. Uh, which one are you talking about? Oh, was it It was the bay up that we went in, that I went into, and I started catching oh, yeah. dogs you, you, off of it. Right, you started instead. catching dogs off the hog, and you've got to anchor the hog first. You've got to get your hands on him, throw him down. Because yep. what are you going to do with a handful of dogs? Exactly, and I, I'm – in my defense, I came back and told you I made that mistake. <laughs> I figured it out. I'm thinking, because I go and I start catching dogs, I'm leashing dogs, mm. pulling dogs back, and then I look at this hog, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with dogs and a hog on the ground? And so, luckily, Craig came in right, I mean, he was right there behind me and, and caught the hog and, and anchored the hog, like you said, mm. and then we could deal with it. And I, we got back to the boat, and I was like, I just made a really dumb rookie mistake, you know? Could have could have been doing my business, you know, with the hog instead of catching dogs. Yeah, but we haven't even used hardly had to use a bulldog. No, the plots have called everything. You know, you know when you started when you when I first got talking to you about plots and and different things, new hog hunting, and I think there's a big um, a big idea out there that. You've got to have a bulldog to hog hunt, and you've got one. You've got you've had great you know you've had fine bulldogs and bred bulldogs over the years, but when you start telling me that all oh, these plots will catch pigs, you know they'll catch catch the hog, they'll catch it, and I'm thinking, okay, well I want to see this, and then I did see it nine years ago when I came down. Yeah, and then you saw one of your own catch one yesterday. Yeah. Was it yesterday or today? They've been in on so many, it's hard to remember. Yeah, both days. We came yeah. around came around the bend there, and, and uh, man, they, they'd call it. Yeah. And we're holding the hog right there. And I, would, I don't think, think we even got the bulldog out on that hog. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I just – it was beyond my comprehension to think that you could hog hunt and, I, I mean, it's – you take a bulldog with you every time. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, the plots will catch most hogs, and if you have five or six out, they're going to catch any hog out there. But ideally, you really want only three, maybe four plots out. You want them to bathe the hog, the bigger hogs, and you go in with the bulldog. Turn him loose, let him catch the hog by the year. You go in and get the dogs off. The hog's not hurt. The dogs aren't hurt. Yeah, and that's the way we did it nine years ago. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got, got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. Easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years. But this system is all integrated into one unit, and 
the way it's designed out of high impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota283 at dakota283.com, and at checkout, enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order. You've been at this a long time. Yes. We put several pigs in the boat the last two days. Yeah. There's no doubt. How many How many hogs you caught this year, you think? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at the pictures. We caught seven yesterday. We caught four today. Yep. Uh, I, we caught seven Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, we've hunted three weeks before that, so I don't really know unless I went back to each individual hunt and yeah. added them up. Yep. So, based on all that, you've been you've been breeding plots since the early – when did you actually start breeding plots? You got plots in the early 80s. When did you decide that I need to concentrate and zone in on – breeding my own line of plots it probably wasn't until the late 80s or 90s because i was so busy hunting i didn't want to lay a, a female up or lay the dogs up i wanted to hunt them mm -hmm. and you know i let a lot of good blood get away from me mm -hmm. uh that in hindsight i wish i would have bred but and the, the and also probably in the early 80s I really didn't think I had anything worthy of being bred. You know, it took me a couple of years of dabbling plots before I found what I wanted. Yeah. And then I let a couple of those get away from me by not breeding them. And then finally, I guess, late 80s, I said, you know, I better start breeding these dogs and trying to keep what I've got. Did you have experience prior to the plots? Did you breed cur dogs? Uh, yeah, we, we bred some of those, you know, uh, only when we really needed them you know uh maybe once every couple of years i'd have a litter yeah did you have any experience outside of your hunting that made you want to you know you grew up riding we've talked you're a horseshoer right. a farrier by trade and um the animal husbandry side of it is that what kicked this whole thing in or well i've always liked animals you know and i've always loved the outdoors where I grew up in Florida, it was nothing but woods, basically in our backyard. They had a creek back there, so I stayed on the creek either fishing or just r running through the woods and always had a dog or two with me. So it's, uh, you know, all my family, you know, the men hunted. and So I guess I came by it honest. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So when you decided to start breeding plots what was it about your plots that you saw as a breeder okay so i want to take this back to the basic thing because a lot of times you'll see people now that there's the internet we talked about this a little bit 
you know, back then, <laughs> you know, you were you were searching high and low and traveling and making phone calls and all this stuff. But nowadays, with social media and the internet and everything, it seems like everybody uh, there's a lot of people that that get these dogs and they want to raise a litter of puppies but what was it for mike Cawley that made you decide that that you had something you wanted to breed well it probably started with that blackie female i had she was a straight weems bred female and she was special you mm -hmm. know i mean she in what way she had it all she was super cold nose super fast uh and very gritty you know she had all the everything i wanted in a dog and all the dogs i was bear hunting her with at the time and hog hunting her they either didn't have her nose they didn't have her speed and there was nothing around the area that i wanted to breed to i felt like i'd be breeding down mm -hmm. so I actually caught, caught a man and, uh, who had a full brother with the full intention of breeding to her full brother because I didn't want to lose anything. But he talked me into breeding to her half-brother. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and so you said something there. You said she was really gritty. And that's a term that I found that even the most seasoned coon hunters don't understand because – Tell us what grit means to you. Well, I mean, there's it's a very fine line between too much grit and not enough grit. Mm -hmm. You know, especially hog hunting. If they're too gritty, they're going to get killed, you know, on a hog. But they've got to be gritty enough to bite a hog and make him stop, you know, to bay. Uh, you know, if they're not gritty, I mean, I, I've seen hogs just trot along with a dog walking 15 feet behind barking and that dog's not doing anything to stop the hog and that race can go all day yeah you know so they they've got to have enough grit to at least stop a hog but when you say grit you are not talking about dog aggression and i think right right yeah you won't tolerate that no not at all yeah and i think that's a, a misnomer even among houndsmen, when they talk about, oh, you know, these dogs are too – take the plot breed, for instance. You know, yeah. it's they're too gritty. And so that has led to this idea that plots are mean, plots are – we're seeing several plots hauled together in boxes, um, you know, baying hogs together and have, have game down on the ground and pulling – dragging these hogs out of the, the uh, marsh and we didn't have any problems with a dog and these dogs weren't even together i mean we had another group come in to help us with a hog to, today and had no problems right well i mean you've seen me i create all my males together and i create my females together mm -hmm. and that's just in case if i miss one being in season hopefully i won't have any accidents right and you just can't tolerate a dog uh or i can't you know that's and that's something else dog aggression i think is totally different than gr grit on game you know i've always believed that because i've seen some of the i wouldn't say docile but they weren't gritty dogs being overly aggressive towards other other dogs mm -hmm. 
So it's, uh, I, I don't know what characteristic you could define that, but, you know, you, you've got grit on game, and then you've got dog aggression. Right. You just got a mean dog. Right. That's right. You know, he's just a dog that, that uh, can't get along, can't interact with other dogs. And you know what a label pit bulls have? And I know this is a hound podcast. Oh, this but, is all about catch dogs, too. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, I throw my male catch dog, you know, in the pen with mostly females, but we did have a, another male in there. Not a problem at all. You yeah. Know, so, you know, the bulldogs, they know what their part is, and, you know, that's to catch hogs, and they don't pay any attention to the other dogs. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. I, and we, uh, we just inherited a new pit bull as well and he gets along great with with all my dogs yeah so you know there's so many tags and things that that uh misnomers and rumors about all these breeds of dogs and i just wish we could get people together to see what they are i mean uh it's like your your bulldog uh, deacon right you know he's a great dog and and uh, you got to give him space, just like you would give somebody's German Shepherd or their Labrador or their Poodle space until they they get to know you. And anybody that just charges in and starts loving on any kind of dog or tries to, you know, the dog's not going to know what to expect. Right. So, but Deacon's awesome. I, he was he was a lot of fun. Yeah. He stick his head out of the box and you just scratch his ears and. And then he goes, so. Yeah, he's pretty smart. He's figured out. He's opened that door twice. He's opened it today, too. Yeah, you know, he's learned to paw the latch open. So. That's one thing I noticed about ours is uh, he's super smart. Yeah. And that must be the terrier. You know, terriers are known to be really, really smart dogs. Right. So. So let's get back into the, the, the breeding of plots. So what's probably the dog that you've bred anchored your breeding program on do you have any one uh, i don't really have one in particular uh but it's the dogs that have the traits i like and the number one trait i like is nose you know a dog's got to be able to find them before they do anything mm -hmm. and besides that you need a lot of speed and there's so many people misinformed that think a hog cannot run well you saw that today how far a hog could run yeah <clears throat> so you've got to have speed you got to have endurance and you just got to have that tenacity you know to just keep pushing you know bring the animal to you know to bay yeah what female was that today that was amber amber you talk about prey drive and we talked about this on our our podcast about scent having that prey drive and then everything else comes into play behind that you know the ability you know cold nose is is directly linked to the amount of desire to catch the game um and and she showed that today so she had she swam well she ran for two hours through marsh grass roseau cane thickets pushed the hog across the river which was 120 yards wide and ran the hog on another hour 
out on the other side and we were able to get some fresh dogs into her and bathe the hog. Yep. Yep. Probably two and a half, three hours later. Right. So, yeah, and she's what? How old is she? Seven and a half. Seven and a half. So The, the old girl slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> slowing down. So when you're when you're looking at, at hounds, when you're looking at your plots, and I really want to talk about kind of, without giving any trade secrets away, Mike, uh, I really want to do a podcast about what people really look for in a dog. So, what is a disqualifier for you? I'm not breeding that dog. Mm, it's hard to say, but the dogs that produce the most game are the dogs I'm looking for. The dogs that are in the right place at the right time. If And there are no perfect dogs out there. I've never had a perfect dog, and I never will. But the dogs that are strong in the qualities I like... And uh, say I might have a male that's pretty strong in most departments, and I have a female that's strong, but she might be weak in a couple of departments. Like say she's got a, a weak mouth, you know, you can't hear. I want to make sure the male dog's got a big mouth to mm -hmm. try to overcompensate. And, you know, the same thing, you can have a good dog and she might not be the fastest dog. But I'm going to make sure if I breed her, if she's got everything else, that I breed her to an extremely fast dog. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, I mean, if it was as simple as every, everybody had perfect dogs and breeding two perfect dogs together, we would all have perfect dogs. But Well, well some people say that, you know, that they call that Nick breeding. You yeah. know, you, you, you take a dog's weakness and you try to offset it with another dog's strengths. And... You've had good success with that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there are certain dogs out there that are more dominant. Uh, you know, take that trumpet female out there. She's been a, a producer. No matter what she's bred to, she's throwing really good dogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard to find females like that. Uh, the amber female throws pretty good females. But I've also bred. Just fem she throws pretty good pups, or she th pretty good pups. Okay, yeah. You know, but I've bred two top dogs together before, and produced duds. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, you know, you you just can't. It's not written in stone. How much do you look at uh, genetics on it, like family family breeding type stuff? I like uh, pretty close line breeding. One of the best crosses I ever made was an accidental cross to full brother to full sister. And those dogs, and I got rid of mine because, you know, I kept a pair. And when they were about six months old, I said, you know, I just don't know about that full brother, full sister cross. You know, like I said, it was an accident, and I gave them away. They made unbelievable dogs, had everything, you know. So did they breed, did those dogs go on, did you cross back into them? Uh, no, this friend of mine does, well, actually he did, and I did get a female out of that, but she didn't make the cut. Mm -hmm. So, so when you say line breeding, you know, obviously a brother and sister is inbreeding, right? Well, that's the way you understand it. It can be, but it depends on, from what I understand, how the genetics lined up. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So when you say line breeding, explain what you mean by line breeding. Well, like, how close do they have to be? How far apart can they be? Breeding cousins to cousins. You know, uh, we've had good luck breeding half brothers to half sisters. I uh, I bred a female. I called her Tar Baby back to her daddy, the Trapper Dog. Mm-hmm. And she only had three pups, but every one of them was a top dog. So it's. So before you make that cross, before you make that cross of a half brother to a half sister, they've got to have everything I want. You know, uh, you know they've got to have the nose, the speed, the grit. <clears throat> you know, they've got to have everything that I don't want to lose. So wouldn't you say though? I mean, everything before you put it in your boat to take it to the to the marsh, then you're hoping that they've got everything that you want then, right? And if they make it past a few, you know, a couple of years old, then they've got everything you want. Right. And it normally does take a couple of years before you r- really know they've got all the qualifications. Uh, it's just like that yellow pup we hunted today. And, and I say pup, he's 14 months old, uh, but he's cold trailing already. He's got a big desire. Your, your pup went right w- with him and, Together they trailed the hog up, got him jumping, actually caught him. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you don't tolerate any slackers around here. No, that's uh, <laughs> I'll give them to the deer hunters. <laughs> when when you're evaluating pups, okay. So say you've got this male and this female, and you're going to make this cross, and how do you evaluate your pups? Let's start from the time that they're weaned. Well, I spend a lot of time with them when I can. You know, I, I like them socialized. I don't really care for a shy dog. Uh, and basically, I, I just let my pups learn run loose. They, they learn so much faster. Mm-hmm. You know, they're around you a lot, following you everywhere. And by the time they're four or five months old, they're out running rabbits and stuff, learning how to use their nose. So that just puts me way ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And when the time I introduce them to pigs, you know, they start running and baying them. And then around eight or nine months old, I'll start carrying them to the woods and turning them loose with the old dogs. And as they progress, I'll start putting those dogs out first, you know, to give them a chance, you know, to see how they do. Okay, so I've noticed that you've both, I think this is the third night I've here. I've been here, so all three three afternoons or evenings, you've been out there in that pen with that one pup. You did have two, and now there's right. one pup. You've got a chair out there. What are you doing? Uh, just playing tug of war with him, pet, petting on him and stuff like that. Yeah. So just talking to him. Letting him bite me and scratch my arms up. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then, and then, as you put them in that boat, like today, you had a couple, couple young dogs. That, yeah. How how was Bluebell? Uh, nine months old. She's nine months old, and this today was her first time out of the boat. Today was her first day. And how'd she do? Well, she made three races and was at three hog catches, hanging on to the hog. Right. So, yeah, I like that. <laughs> How did you get to that point? How did you get from 
this I think that's the the thing that everybody needs is looking for the answer to that question. How did you get to that point from that puppy that you looked at and you thought I'm going to keep this puppy to the first day out there bang? Well, first of all, it's got to be in them. The dog's got to have that desire to be out there. And I'm really way behind on these pups out here, you know. I've uh normally i'm doing like mock hunts or something uh letting them go out and run pigs uh in a training pen or something like that so they know what's going on but i never had the opportunity with these pups mm -hmm. i took her brother yesterday and it was his first trip and he made the races yeah and today i brought her and she made the races so you know it's a lot of it it's just the breeding, you know. You can't put it in them if it's not in them. You know, I've always heard the saying, you, you can't put a motor in a dog. You can put brakes on them, but you can't put a motor in them. You know, it's got to be in them. Right. I agree. You yeah. can't make a dog hunt. And, and a lot of times you'll see people, you'll hear people say, yeah, by God, if that dog won't go hunting, then I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna wear it out, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it go hunting. Right. All you're doing is teach him to hide from you. At that That's point. exactly right. You can make him get away from you, but you can't make him. Yeah, hide. yeah. Well, he's you're gonna make him hard to catch, and you're gonna make him right. hide from you. Yeah. I learned that the hard way, you know, uh, over the years trying to trying to force things with dogs, and so when when you have a have a pup that that. Um, you just find another, find something else to do with him. He's not saying here, right? Right. That's right. I've got a group of people I ran into several years back, and they take all my calls for deer dogs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's good for me. It's good for them. You know, they become useful dogs in their deer packs. Just about every dog I've got is pretty trashy, so it doesn't take much to make them run a I deer. Can, I can attest to that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Took uh, uh, I'll tell you what, Cajun, the uh, Cajun and Diablo were the two that I got from you, and uh, man, they are gamey. Yeah. And you've got it's been a long hard road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I see they made you pull your hair out. So <laughs> that's right. They they made mine turn gray. Yeah. Yeah. So Mike. Uh, Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about bear hunting, you know, because I think uh, we've talked a lot about hog hunting, but you've been a bear hunter for several years. You've got some fantastic bear in, in your house here that you've had rugs made out of and taxidermy work done on. Um, where Whereabouts do you bear hunt? You're in southern Louisiana. Well, we uh, I used to be a lease in south Georgia, and... Georgia's full of bear. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to go to Canada every year. And I've really slowed down. I don't bear hunt near like I used to. Uh, I'm hoping to change that as soon as I retire. Yeah. But And we go to Wisconsin. So Wisconsin's got great bear training. And, you know, it doesn't matter to me if I ever kill another bear. I've, I've killed enough. It's just the listening to the dog's work. Yep. And so tell us, tell me what kind of dogs the Bayou Cajun dogs have made on bear. Well, it's like 
every other strain, there's been good ones, there's been bad ones. You know, they don't all make it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you know that's hard, hard to answer, but, yeah, well, you're not, I, I've you're got not, a pretty good percentage. You know, you're not coon hunting. You're not bear hunting as much as you hog hunt. You know, so have you have you noticed any problem with them treeing? Uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, I have one every so often that you know it just doesn't click. You know, and you know, but for the most part, and I've never bred for treeing, but it's in them. Mm -hmm. You know, they they take the treeing pretty pretty easy in fact i've had to break several of mine off coon you know out in the marsh and uh but they're not treeing them they're catching them on the ground well they'll tree them too they'll tree them in bushes or things mm -hmm. like that and uh there's a few trees out there but they do catch them on the ground too yeah yeah, we hunted some small, some small, smaller bushes. There were actually some pretty mature trees along that one edge of the marsh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you haven't had any problems with? Tell me the the traits that you bred for, and hog dogs have transferred over to bear hunting. Well. It, Really, you know, you need more grit, I think, for bear hunting. You know, there's something about a bear that'll just put the fear of God in a dog. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a couple of hogs that have done that, but m mostly, you know, bear, dog, dogs respect a bear way more than they do a hog. I mean, you'll see three or four plots pile all over a hog, and they might try it on a bear, for for the most part, they're not going to get away with it. Mm -hmm. You know that bear's going to make them pay. Yeah. Did the uh, did the do you feel like the plots that you're breeding um, have the locating ability? That's one of the things they talk about. The difference between you know like coon dogs and and big game dogs is the the locating ability. You know, you'd think that a bear being 100 plus pounds sitting up in a tree the well, dog would see it but if they get well you know like over in georgia and back when florida had a season it's so thick over there you know i'd say almost half the time or 70 percent of the time those dogs never see the bear mm -hmm. now granted a big bear puts out a lot of scent you know you're talking about 100 times more than a coon but uh yeah like the that Hank dog, for instance, he's mm -hmm. a locating dog. You know, we're listening to him run a bear uh, this past season up in Wisconsin. And we were riding right next to him. He was 30 yards off the highway, just parallel on us. And we heard him locate, and the, the rest of the pack shot 100, 200 yards ahead before they stopped to turn around. But he already had the bear, you know, or the bear was up, but yet already located and was blowing the top out yeah and you couldn't see that bear that bear was probably 60 foot up you know he went to the top yeah our western hunters out in idaho and montana places like that arizona i mean you're getting some of those ponderosa pines that have thick mm -hmm. and a dog's got to have some locating ability right and and i can tell you that um the last year with with uh, diablo and 
Cajun out there, they had to figure that out. You know, yeah. they had to figure out, and they really came into their element on their tree and ability. So anybody that thinks that, you know, well, you know, my colleagues just breeding hog dogs down there that don't have to tree, you know, Diablo is a pretty impressive tree dog. Yeah. And uh, got to show some of that in West Virginia this year too it, with with uh, Diablo and Cajun both. So it's still there, just yeah. so you know. Good deal. Glad to hear it. <laughs> you already knew that. <laughs> you already knew that. So uh, tell us tell us uh, anything else you want to talk about on breeding. Any what What are some of the pitfalls that new breeders make? Well, I can't speak for anybody else, you know. It's uh, some of the pitfalls I've made, though, is not breeding a dog that I, you know, in hindsight, I should have bred, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's hard to say. And, you know, breeding dogs, and if the puppies never get hunted, you never know what you bred. So... How, how old the pup? How how will a female be before you'll breed her? Uh, probably about two. You know, she's doing everything right. By the time she's two, you know, uh, second, third heat cycle. What are you thinking? Yeah, that's. You know, I don't know what it is. If this is just in my line, and it's not every dog, but some of my dogs don't even come in heat till they're a year and a half old. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I don't know really why i can't put a finger on it but i have noticed that so now i might breed a male dog sooner if he's exceptionally gritty and i, I really like the dog just for the simple reason he could get killed anytime you know so yeah, yeah. every time you turn a dog loose there's a yeah. chance he's never coming back to the boat yeah you know i just lost the hillbilly dog so when did he when did he uh, he, he died about three weeks ago at the vet. Three, it was that recent? Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't realize it was that recent. Yeah. Yeah. That's the daddy to your dog. So. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I thought it was last fall. I didn't realize it was just three weeks ago. No, he got injured, uh, probably about six or seven weeks before spent several days at the vet. Uh, he was doing better. Actually, it hunted him a couple of times, but then he abscessed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the vet went in to operate and took out some intestine and a spleen. And he survived that, but he didn't, you know, he died a day or two later. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were going somewhere with that, and you threw me off with me being shocked that it was that recent that Hillbilly passed. Um, when, you're, when you're looking at pups to breed where was i going i'm having a i'm having a block here because we've been in the boat and i've been sunburned i'm burned to a crisp yeah by the way. yeah i uh well i don't look at pups to breed you know i look at mature dogs to breed it's, okay um i think that's an important point yeah because i think a lot of breeders and i'll just say this from my and i'm not a breeder but I see a lot of people that are breeding for that line of dogs and not evaluating what the finished product is before they breed it. Yeah. You know, I, I guess what I'm looking for my puppies, 
I want them as good as what the parents are, and I hope they're better. But normally that's not the case. You know, I mean, you've got to look at the background genetics, and a dog's just not hardly going to be better than what his ancestors are. So I guess the better his ancestors are, the better your chances of getting a that's an unusual thought because isn't the goal of breeding to get better than what the it's, answer? Yeah. But, but it's not been your experience. How are you going to – well, I've noticed one thing, like in line breeding, after a few generations, I, I try to make an outcross, you know. That's a good point. I want to talk about that. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. That just produces and like, I've always gone to Joe Hutz and Shamrock Plots because his dogs and mine really cross very well together. And his dogs are basically, I'd say, three-quarter weems bred. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I don't really have the exact percentages, but I'm just kind of making a guess. They're probably pretty close. He's got a lot of Butch Jill stuff in his dogs and, uh, Weems plot dock breeding. And if you go back on my dogs, they, they're basically half Weems, half Swampland breeding and Swampland, Leroy and Everett bred back and forth. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh. They've got a lot of very similar ancestors, and I guess that's why they've crossed good on one another. Yeah. But anyway, some of the best dogs I've had were crossed over to Joe's dogs. So what do you think? You started down a path there. You started to say after you've been breeding a few times, you make an outcross. But why don't you stay with the same line of dogs? I mean, just well, tight it, to what's right, in the teeny-weeny lane here. It seems like... They start breeding back towards average dogs and not good dogs. You know, I mean, they're good usable dogs, but they're not what you'd call that really standout type of dogs, you mm -hmm. know. And that's normally when I know it's time for her. So if, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, you're saying that how are you going to get better than old so-and-so? you know, by breeding, continually breeding back to old so-and-so. And then as you concentrate on that, then it, the performance actually goes down. Well, after three or four generations, it seems like it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you start looking for an outcross, a dog that has everything you want that you know is as good as you can get or find mm -hmm. and cross over to that dog. And it does seem the percentages go up. I'm trying to think of an analogy here that we could maybe tie this together on. I guess they're not racing 1957 Chevys anymore. Well, the uh, 
You know, some of the greatest animals in history, and I've, I found this out with dogs, some of the best dogs you've ever bred have never reproduced themselves. And, you know, if you want an analogy, you could take Secretariat has never produced a horse that even came close to what he was, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy. Yeah. You know, I mean, a triple crown winner and set all the records on the tracks and yeah, never been another one since then. And what year was he alive? What year did he win the triple crown? The 70s? 73, I think. Yeah. That's making a guess, but I think it was somewhere around there. And anybody that had never seen Secretariat run should pull up some YouTube videos. Yeah, I know. It, it is an absolutely amazing thing. He was impressive. Yep. Yep. So, um, when, um, how much did you, did you, for new breeders out there, how much time did you spend talking to people that you thought were really good breeders before, you know, even now? Yeah. Well, I've worn Joe's phone out. I've talked to him so much, you know. I've talked to Everett a good bit back, back in the days, you know, 30 years or so ago. Talk, talked to Tom Telford, you know, a lot of the old timers. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, anybody who, who I could get to stand still to listen to me. <laughs> well, you always, you always had good stories to tell, and mm -hmm. people knew you were a hard hunter. So, mm -hmm. and... Uh, how important it is for is it for somebody that that is thinking about starting to breed to look and, and learn from these older older breeders? Well, it's hard to say, but the most important part, no matter how well bred the dog is, they've got to be hunted. You know, the best bred dog in the world is not going to make anything if he doesn't get out of the pen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got to get the the dogs in the hands of people that hunt. That's a good point too, because we've talked about that before. Could you yeah. do this all by yourself? No, I've, you know, I've got a couple of friends and all, you know, a few of them that, you know, they've got my dogs and all, they hunt them hard and all. So I can see, you know, not just like the dogs I keep, but several dogs spread out mm -hmm. and, you know, go for there. And that's not uncommon. All your seems like all your good hunters that breed dogs, you know, they've got a, a network. Yeah. So it's just it's too expensive, and it's hard to do it yourself. How many people call you and asking you for you know advice or? I get calls every day. Yeah, I've been so. I've been witness to that. I've called you several times. I'm I'm probably two or three time a month guy. <laughs> and then everybody else is filling in yeah. in between that. Mm -hmm. But um, the network deal is so important because even though I don't know how many how many plots you've got out there right now, but but there's more guys out there that are hunting your plots too, and you get them in those right hands that are, of guys that are going to hunt them. Yeah. How important it is is it for you as a breeder to get reports back on your pups? Yeah, it's very important. You know, I really like to hear how they're doing, good or bad, you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, if all you hear from the good, hear from the people that have dogs that are doing all good things, and you don't hear from the people that are, you know, their dogs aren't making the grade. 
Well, let me tell you about all the things I don't like about mine right now. All right. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you one of them. <laughs> which, which one were you going to say? That whining. Oh, yeah. 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 And you know where that comes from. I, I know exactly where it comes from. <laughs> we, we put a little curtail on that, though, today. Yeah. In the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. They just get keyed up. I'm oh, telling yeah. you. And they got that from Hillbilly. Uh, you know, Jack didn't do that. You know, that's Hillbilly's f father, so I really don't know where that came from. But, I mean, the dog just, like he's possessed, he's got to get out, you know. Yeah. So. Yep, and they are driven. Yeah. Man, they are just driven. But, again, that goes back to that thing, I'd rather have that than one that won't. Right. That doesn't want to go. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else? Did I miss anything about breeding? There's tons of stuff. I mean, yeah. we, can't, we can't even cover it in a right. one-hour podcast. No, it's, uh, like, like you said, there's a lot we could cover and all, but that's pretty much. Uh, if you were going to give a guy a piece of advice that's, that's um, you know, starting down this road of being a houndsman and – He's he's been in it a few years and he's had some good luck with dogs and things like that and he wants to start breeding dogs. What what one piece of advice would you give him? Uh, you know that's hard to say. Uh, just try not to breed any dogs that you know aren't making the grade. Uh, just try to strive for the best you know stock he can start with and go from there. See which ones make it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if they've got the qualities he's looking for, you know, and he wants to continue, breed them, get some buddies to help him out. There you go. So, and how important is calling? It's very important. And what's your definition of calling? I mean, because this is, this is, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. So in the. Well, the, I'm not going to say it on the air, but I'll just send them to the deer pack. Yep. So, so, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can take dogs out of your breeding program. Right. Uh, you know, but, but truth of it is, I mean, I'll say it, I'll say it on the air. Calling means to remove the dog from the gene pool. Right. And whether that's done through spay neuter or, you know, uh, euthanization, then that's the way it goes. Right. So some things just have genetic defects that you don't right that's our responsibility we've been put in charge and we're stewards of these dogs yeah and we've got to if you're going to get into this thing you've got to be willing to be willing to do the hard things too just yeah. like we saw those boys trying to get that hog right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh mike give us a give us a hunting story you got a good hunting story well I told you that one about uh, Charlie getting us lost. You know, uh, we, we were in our 20s. We'd caught three hogs. It was foggy, foggy that morning. And uh, we sent a kid back to get the boat. Hour passes. He never returned. So Charlie says, come on, he's lost. Let's go to the boat. We walked and we walked. And I said, Charlie. We're well, in the swamp or the marsh? We're in the swamp. Okay. I said, Charlie, we're walking in a circle. He says, what do you mean? I said, there's our tracks where we crossed that slough an hour ago. So we took off in a different direction. We finally hit the river. 
And Charlie plops down on his stomach and starts drinking out of that river. And I said, you're going to die. You're going to get hepatitis. <laughs> he said, and I'm, I'm laughing just thinking about it. He says, I've drank out of this river all my life, and it's never hurt me. He says, come down and get you some. I said, I'll pass. <laughs> well, then he sits up. He pulls his boot off and throws it in the river. And I said, are you crazy? we got to walk out of here. He says, anything that hurts my feet this bad, I'll never wear again. And he throws his other boot in the river. <laughs> He was done. He was done. And sure enough, about 20 minutes later, a boat comes by, and it was his dad looking for us. So, Did you have dogs with you, too? Yeah, we had dogs with us. You were us. leading dogs around. Yeah. And that was later on in the day, what, 3, yeah. three o'clock? Oh, it, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon by the time we hit the river. <laughs> we had been out there since 6 in the morning. So walking around in circles. Yeah. If you had to go back and do it again, Mike, would you do anything different? I don't think so. That's I really enjoyed, uh, you know, the hunting, just being in the woods and all. So I don't think that would change at all. Right, right. Well, I don't. I I've been in with the plot breed for I don't know, twelve, fifteen years maybe now. I don't know. Um, and I can't find anybody that has anything bad to say about my collie, so that ought to make you feel pretty good. Yeah, it makes me feel pretty good. Uh, you know, I haven't pleased everybody. You know, everybody gets calls, including myself. But uh, I've got a question for you. All right. So how did you find your experiences out in the marsh and hunting this weekend? Well, the the this weekend was a different uh, experience than it was nine years ago. Nine years ago, it was, um, didn't know what to expect hog hunting with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, this weekend was a little bit different because I had a little bit of skin in the game. Brought two plots with right. me. And uh, it was just to see if they had what it took to, to get out there and catch some, catch some hogs. And so I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. I was pretty pleased with that. Cajun did a nice job with with uh your dog today cold yeah. trailing a hog going out and 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 uh jumping a hog and catching a hog and yeah they they did it all just the two of them yeah you know and so i can tell you that neither one of them are afraid to latch onto one i was i've been really pleased with them in the bare woods and and uh they've i was really worried about cajun i i was worried that he wouldn't uh, he might have been a little too gritty mm -hmm. on game but He's shown that he's he's got some pretty good brains on him. But, uh, you know, out here in the marsh, it's a whole different game. You think you can walk across that thing. And when you jump out on the boat, jump out of the boat, uh, even on some of those banks and stuff, you realize all that stuff's floating. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it's floating. It's mm -hmm. just massives of vegetation that's – it's like a gigantic hydroponics garden out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, where you think you can step – isn't always someplace you can step, you know? Um, so it's, every place has its challenges, whether you're in the mountains or you're in the, uh, uh, cornfields of Indiana. I mean, some of the most miserable times I've been, have been in, in those hot cornfields in Indiana. I'm wishing you could get out of there and there's, 
but every place has its challenges and and there aren't any there aren't any free lunches in the in the marsh i'll tell you that well i did notice you let those young hands go to that last hog <laughs> you asked me you said are you going in there i said i don't think there's any reason for me to go in there there were already 15 guys hitting the bank i'm thinking they got draggers they got people and i don't have a dog in there so i'm yeah. good right here i'll keep you company mike there were a lot of boats there too yeah, right and yeah. we needed to make sure that nothing got away right we uh met up with a friend of mine scotty and uh he had a bunch of young hands with him and gung-ho you know they went in there got the hog and brought him out well you said it you said you know with age comes wisdom you know and i just had my 52nd birthday and there would have been a day where i'd have been wading through there too but i got to looking at it and i saw those boys jumping off the side of those boats and I'm wearing frog legs, and I'm thinking, if I jump in that water up to my waist, the frog legs are going to be full. I'm staying right here. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> well, Mike, I appreciate it. I appreciate your hospitality. And, and uh, again, thanks for, for coming on and sharing your your uh, experience and your wisdom and with houndsmen all across the United States. I think I, I have this prediction. You're going to go down – is one of the greatest breeders of plot dogs ever. Well, I don't know know about that, but I I think so. I, I do enjoy them. You know, yes, I mean, you do. I, I really think they're a great breed, and they suit my purposes. And they so. suit a lot of people's purposes. And I don't know if I ever told you this, uh, but I I know you're a ex marine and all that, and I really appreciate your service. Once a marine, do. always a marine. Okay, well, good deal. Uh, you got a grandson getting ready to enlist. Yeah, yeah. He's he, already enlisted, right? He's enlisted. He's going to go in the Marines in uh, in May. So, so is he a senior right now? He's a senior right now. He's wa wanted to do this from the time he was 12 years old. Never wavered, whatever. Yep. Well, so, thank you for that, Mike. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I hope your grandson the best. The Marine Corps is uh, a great organization. I guarantee you mm -hmm. that um, he's going to come back changed. He's going to come back. You'll be, you're going to yeah. see a difference in him when he comes back. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh. Yep. I hope him the best and safety and the whole nine yards. Right. So. Well, Mike, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome. All right. We enjoyed having you. Well, we got a way we close all these out. And uh, even though uh, I'm, I'm hunting your dogs, I'm hunting your line of dogs on these plots. Mike, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>